medical care shifts maternal mortality. All the other type of care is wonderful. Home health visitations are wonderful, especially in early childhood development. Um, they can increase breastfeeding, they can reduce postpartum depression, but only medical care can reduce maternal mortality. Welcome back to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. This week, co-host Augustine Colebrook is joined by none other than Sonal Patel. You might recognize her name if you attended our 2023 Denver Midwifery Wisdom Experience. She was our wonderful keynote speaker. Today on the podcast, her and Augustine are diving deep into maternal mortality, maternal care, women's health, Basically, just get ready to get pumped up to learn how changes are being made for how maternity care and women's health are treated in the United States. Sonal shares some shocking facts about maternal mortality. She shares some incredible things that her company is doing to normalize more than just the basics of postpartum care. In her own words, we focus on bringing medical care back to the house. Get ready to be excited for big changes being made in the medical system to align more fully with the midwifery model of care and ultimately to create a happier and healthier pregnancy and postpartum experience. Let's dive into this mind-blowing conversation. No, yes, hello. How are you? How are you? I'm quite well, thank. How are you, friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to see you again. Thanks so much yes. for joining us on the podcast. Yes. Oh no, thank you. When I when I saw that, I was like, oh, this would be awesome. <laughs> so it's so awesome. That's great. I'm glad you're here. Well, yeah. so first of all, for for listeners who don't know who you are, um, I'm going to give uh -huh. a tiny rudimentary introduction, and then I want you to take it away. Okay. So, sure. um, first of all, can you, is it Sonal or Sona? Sonal. It's like tonal with an That's S. That's what I thought. Yeah. Sonal. So Sonal is what we like to call the home visiting, um, neonatologist. That's a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I, think of it that I would way. love, I would love for you to expand that job title into more of what you do and who you are. Okay. Sounds like a plan. So my yeah, name is Sonal Patel, <laughs> and um, I am a pediatrician further trained in neonatology. Um, I'm also a lactation specialist, and my pivoting and my big uh, change in life came. Um, I'm a mom of four, and that's just very important for the whole picture of it, and postpartum literally just killed me and we can get into all of why how that kills me and I just saw my medical system failing me and it was a very shocker because uh, I've been trained as a pediatrician as a neonatologist you witness the postpartum period more hands-on and more upfront because you're not only dealing with premature babies but also their mothers it really struck me that with all the knowledge that I had, it, if it could fail me, then literally what about the other mothers? And so I created a home health company about um, 
five, six years ago now. And we really focus on the fourth trimester and bringing care, medical care back to the house. And one of our biggest mission is also um, maternal mortality and reduction of it. And when we look at the data, that's what we see is that medical care shifts maternal mortality. All the other type of care is wonderful. Home health visitations are wonderful, especially in early childhood development. Um, they can increase breastfeeding, they can reduce postpartum depression, but only medical care can reduce maternal mortality. And so that's what I do. So bringing moms that's back amazing. into the picture. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, right. I mean, centering, centering that, that postpartum person for sure. Well, so I want to go a little deeper. I think many of our listeners will understand, um, what you mean when you say maternal mortality in the fourth trimester and, and, you know, clinical medical care, postpartum and all those pieces. But there may be some folks who listen who are either students or parents or doulas or somewhere in that process. And I guess I would just love to ask you a couple follow-up questions to this crisis that you discovered kind of by accident. Um, so first of all, um, how does the mainstream medical system fail new mothers? Yes. So what it does is that during pregnancy, you have about 10 to 15 appointments for yourself. And we'll, we'll overlay that with the maternal mortality data because then it becomes more evident. Then thereafter, after you give birth, you have one postpartum visit at your six week mark. And we know from data, 40% of women do not go to their six week appointment. So you have this structure that is super heavy on pregnancy, but the minute that the baby is born, it's all shifted towards the newborn. So now if you look at the newborn aspect in that first six weeks, they have about three to four appointments given. It's just given that they will have that. And the shift of care becomes directly to the newborn. And all the mom does is lugging their babies around. Now, when we talk about maternal mortality and piecing that puzzle together, maternal mortality was defined by the WHO, the World Health Organization. It's any death, pregnancy-related death, uh, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum up to 42 days. And there's other terminology that comes along with it, but up to 42 days after the birth of that child or some sort of the how the pregnancy ends. Unfortunately, we do have abortions and we do have miscarriages. And so those are accounted for as well. So when you mm -hmm. look at that data, you notice that <clears throat> one third of mothers are dying in pregnancy, but two thirds are dying after birth. And when you look at the medical system, we're not support, supporting those mothers. Moreover, when we have the six week appointment, so six weeks aligns exactly with the 42 days, you have two thirds, you have, sorry, of those two thirds, you have about 50% of women that are dying from pregnancy and postpartum related complications during mm -hmm. that period. And then on top of that, 40% of women don't go to their appointment. And we just skim over, we talk about maternal mortality because it is a crisis and we'll get into that. However, we're really dismissing all the morbidities that we come with when pregnancy yeah. and all the education that happens there. We, we barely do a good job with maternal mortality that we don't even talk about the morbidities 
that come um, right. that women face, mm. you know. So I hope mm. that like clarified a little bit of adding it's the data. so clear and like i said many of our listeners like really get the clarity that's why they're functioning outside the system is providing alternatives to that system but i just wanted to make it really clear and of course um we haven't really touched on this yet but aside from the like you said the, the mortality issue and even the morbidities um the mental health is another huge component of this of recovering from that crazy hormonal swish that happens at birth and the pressures and the, and the weight that is on the new parents. Um, and then, like you said, this societal outcome that could be interpreted. If you were the birthing person, you could definitely interpret like, Oh, I'm just a vessel. I'm not the one that matters. It's definitely the baby that matters. And that's a really devastating message to receive in those first few early weeks and days and that is definitely failing people for sure and then so midwives do oh go ahead no no i'm just saying but that message is message is being seeped throughout not only medical system but our society and culture i mean we do baby showers right we do yeah the minute that the baby is born it's all about oh mom and baby are doing great and then it's like people coming over to hold the baby and it's all the tension is yeah. done to and it's so it's just not the medical system i think we just have to have a huge shift it's really just culturally and yeah yeah, yeah, it, yeah it totally is so yeah well <clears throat> i i know that you know this we had a great talk in denver when you were there uh uh Sonal was our keynote speaker in, in Denver this year. So that recording is accessible, which is really an awesome slideshow. But in Denver, we had this really quick conversation about how um, the, the mortality, the morbidity, the mental health, the hormone shifts, all these things happen. And it's like traditional midwifery throughout the ages kind of was attuned to this and knew this already because it is absolutely I think true all over the world that postpartum women get extensive care by their midwives. And I find it so exciting that you are leading the charge towards essentially normalizing the postpartum period and bringing back what used to be and still is traditional and true for the midwifery communities. Have you faced any backlash? Like are any of your colleagues like, what are you doing? Or is everyone supportive? <laughs> I live in Colorado, so I think the state in itself is quite progressive and quite, um, there's more options in birth here. Um, and it's, it's kind of surprising that even with my own experiences, I didn't have all, or, and I wasn't even attuned to all the options of birth that we have available in Colorado. So I think the landscape is a little bit different as compared to maybe other states. Um, I mean, we have freestanding birthing centers, we have home births, we have uh, your typical OBGYN providers. So I don't think there's been a true backlash per se because of the community that I practice within. That's awesome. And you're trying, so let's, let's tell me about this clinic. It's called oh. Naya Care, right? And yes. you, you have a number of team members. It's not just you anymore. So tell us what does this structure look like? Yeah, so it's really looking at the fourth trimester from the perspective of the mother slash the birthing person, because all of these things that we're imposing on them does not happen in a vacuum, right? Like we don't want to have breastfeeding success and 
what we do is all these outcomes like decreasing mental health, increasing breastfeeding rates. These are all super connected. It is not happening in a singular pathway. And some of this is, and so when you talk about mental health, I sit back because I actually had postpartum depression with one and anxiety with another. And the one I had the depression one was I actually had a grade three and a grade four tear. I physically mm. could not get up. Yeah. I physically could not do some stuff, but mentally I had to push myself to get to my pediatric appointment because that's what I was told mm. that I was supposed to do. Right. And I think we undermine the actual, we say birth trauma, but I think it's truly, if you can look more deeper into it, it's this acknowledgement of physical recovery that we are not allowing our mothers to have and space to have it. So now I have a grade three, grade four, and three to four days after um, my leaving the hospital and getting into, in, into a car, <laughs> I don't remember all the bumps and stuff. And then the next day going to my pediatric mm. appointment and being asked, how are you doing mm. when I can't even sit on that chair? Or, you know, oh you have gosh. to a lot, yeah, like an hour or two just to get to this 10 minute appointment where they're all they're doing is weighing the baby, making sure there's no jaundice issues, making sure the breastfeeding is going well. And then in our medical system currently, and I don't fault any of my fellow pediatricians because it is a medical system. It's the structure that we've created. Uh, some of them just don't have time, right? Some of them don't have time yeah. for yeah. breastfeeding and it's all a of that. Complicated system. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It involves like like insurance and reimbursers and payers, and you know, um, there's so many limits that are externally enforced. And I think most most uh, doctors alive today inherited this system. Like none of them were involved in creating it. So like that's part of the dysfunction, right? Yeah. So our visits start prenatally. So these, um, uh, they will have a consult with us around the third trimester. And it is a change in mentality. It is a change. It's like, wait, are you're going to come to my house? Wait, what, what, what's going on here? And so we have to kind of really do explain the benefits of that as well. And then thereafter it, we go to their first appointment right after their usually most of my patients are and we, we can talk about how i work with the midwifery because it's a little bit different because here in colorado midwif midwives are up to six weeks that they can provide care and then we actually and most of these um, people who do midwifery care also want a pediatrician so we kind of align with what the midwifery group is going to be giving and it, it changes per midwife group as well so we we kind of customize care that way so that um, dyad is getting support throughout these uh, six weeks, essentially, and even more sometimes. But typically speaking, if you think about a hospital setting, they go, come home, <clears throat> the pediatric appointment is done about 24 to 48 hours after they've come home. That appointment lasts about 60 to 75 minutes. So it is a very longer appointment just on that um, face value. And we do complete newborn care that's already done, literally bringing the clinic to the home. And then from the maternal end point of it, we are looking at maternal vitals. We are looking at how this person is recovering. 
we have space to talk about the birth. We have space to talk about addressing birth traumas that is there. Then we talk about safe sleep. And then we talk about now most of them, they have their partners there. We talk about what is objective roles of the partners because most people want to help. And the thing is, people just don't realize how to help, right? And it's like, okay, well, these are some concrete ways that you don't have to just change the diaper. I want you to sunbathe and do some skin to skin because this is going to help John does. And hey, mom, you need to, when they're doing this, this is mom and dad time or baby and dad time. You cannot interfere with that. And that kind of overlays into like long-term stuff, right? So then those moms from the get-go are allowed to be like, okay, I don't have to be the primary everything for this child. And I start trusting my partner into being like, okay, they're going to keep them alive for 15 to 20 minutes. And I saw that a lot with my own career because it was just like, you were taught that from the get-go, you're everything, right? Like you're the only one that knows the answers and you can't rely on the community that you're building and the community is part, is your partner. And so just allowing that person to be like, no, 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 we're going to step away and it's okay for you to step away. It's okay for you to recharge. And we talk about prolactin levels. You're like, you know, you like prolactin levels are really low in the afternoons. You know, to, the first two weeks, I really don't encourage the nighttime. Like I'm sleeping during the night and then my partner or my husband or my who fill in the blank is going to be bottle feeding because it doesn't align with what's going on in their bodies. And in, like you, right. you point this out, it's like, you know, your prolactin levels are really low in the afternoon. I bet you feel really tired then. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, then that's the time where you need to take your naps. That's the time when you need to be like, okay, I, I need a break. And so all this education gets there. And then when in this two weeks, and we come back at two weeks and during this time they have me, they have direct access to me. Cause one of the things I felt also going through the system was like you, you call the nurse line about something small, right? Something small. Mm -hmm. For you, it's it's huge because it's particularly like it's your first um, newborn. But I've seen with repeat families too, like simple things as a duct being clogged, like a nasolacrimal duct, like, oh, I just want to make sure that it's okay. But when you're sitting there and you have four to six hours as a response time, you doctor Google it and everything is like wrong in the world and you're doing absolutely right. terrible things. So our response time is at most an hour. I say that just because I, I tell them, wow. it's like, you know, do you see me doing it here? But most of the most average is 10 minutes. And, you know, just for them to be like, I mean, I get tons of poopy diaper pictures. I get tons of like <laughs> eye pictures. So that part is, and then mm -hmm. in two weeks, we talk about, you know, other stuff. We're talking about, um, again, mental health and how they're transitioning. So remember, like, if you get the support, so I'll, I'll tell you what the data that we've found personally, but if you get the support that you need, you don't have to have mental health issues. I just had a mom, a client in September just said, I am actually doing really well. Is it okay for me to feel this good in my postpartum? And it really shocked me because... We've created a world now where we can't just enjoy and be guilty about enjoying this time period with our newborn. And mm. she was really questioning that, am mm. I supposed to get mental health issues? I'm doing really well. Is is this okay? And mm. that like struck me to be like, mm. how far have That's we come? That's crazy. Isn't yeah. it? The, 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 the cultural experience of lack of support is so normalized that when you have it, you don't even know how to contextualize it. 
I had a client like that once. I checked in and I was like, hi, we just need to do a quick screen about postpartum depression. How are you feeling? How are your emotions? And she was like, I have postpartum elation. <laughs> What's yes. depression? Um, you yes. guys come and check on me every other day. Like people are feeding me. I feel so great, you know. So yeah, I, I love that that is happening for some of our clients. And at the same time, it does make me so sad for the general population that is thinking that, like, this is another pet peeve of mine is actually when people talk about postpartum depression, they shorten it and they just call it postpartum. And I'm like, oh, what word medicine are we doing there? Like, oh, she has postpartum. Like, no, 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 no. Let's not, let's not call it that shortened phrase because then it starts to have this bleeding meaning across everything, you know? Exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then we kind of round it off at like the one month and we're doing the official screening and we are using our Edinburgh and GAD anxiety scales. And then we're very importantly talking about pelvic physical therapy and we have a pelvic physical therapist on, on us, um, on our team. And she's provided amazing education because some people just don't realize what their uh, pelvis has gone through and really kind of negating this idea that it's normal to leak <laughs> it's normal to have some degree yeah. of incontinence because our grandparents or pain or our yeah. mothers or pain yeah. the sexual yeah. pain and then yeah. underlying yeah. all of this is again going back to you know the partnership of what got you there because mm -hmm. i always say that hey listen this is the partnership that got you here and how to slowly build up on that. So for example, the first first thing that I talked to you guys about is like, no, you're going to be doing the sunbathing mm -hmm. and the skin to skin. And then we start with adding coffee dates. I never do lunch and I never do dinner because it's just so, it's just, it, it's just very, I just remember being in that space and I was like, well, what, you're asking me to leave my child that I've been carrying for 10 months in my belly and you're asking me to go have yeah, dinner. Yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, like it, it was just, it was just there. So just coffee dates and just kind of starting to set those things into motion to be like, okay, you know, we're going to start with the coffee date. We're going to go back to being friends. Um, this is a really hard time for both of you and your relationship as well, but we're going to be, we're going to start as friends and then we're going to build up to the fact that, you know, at whatever point you want to have sexual relationships again, what does that look like? It doesn't look like at six weeks you get the green light and you're like, woohoo, way to go. Like, we're going to go do this because it might not, it, it might not be right for you at that time. However, you can just sit there and cuddle each other and that's okay. That's mm -hmm. okay for that time mm -hmm. period. So there's a lot of those things that actually happen. And that's um, lastly, and mm. it, it, because it doesn't happen in a vacuum because what I want my no, mothers, no, you no. know, at the end, what I want my mothers when they go through our program is to feel empowered in the medical system to speak up. So at the six week appointment, we give them a list of questions that they need to ask to make sure that they're in tune with their body and to make sure that they know that, okay, this is what their body is at this point. And then I want them to realize about their relationship and about how parenting it really, you're going to breastfeed for a short amount of time that you're going to parent this child. And sometimes coming into parenting, what that looks like, especially in times of um, stress, so in survival mode. I just love it. It's so holistic and it's so um, extensive. It feels like it's reminding me of the, 
the Gottman lab, the Gottman research. Did, did you ever uh, come across no. that research? This was a husband wife team who studied couples before, during, and after pregnancy and before, during, after divorce. And they, they're these kind of relationship experts. And um, they kind of famously said like, having having a, a child before you have it versus after you have it is kind of like the difference between watching a tornado on tv and then having one actually rip the roof off your house yeah like you can't you, you know there's just this massive transformation this massive reality check that happens in in that parenting transition and we're so unprepared for it in our culture i love what you're doing to help prepare for it it's it's really so it's so inspiring oh i imagine you. that yeah well it, it's so inspiring because um you're really breaking the mold and it's so I, I feel like it's really brave i mean a lot of midwives will listen and be like yeah yeah we all do that but for you to have gone from mainstream medical education to all the way to this holistic place where you live now. It's really brave. It's really courageous. And I'm really super impressed. And oh, you've done it with facts great. and figures and you've done it with like structure and you like you've created this this whole movement really. And I wonder two things. I wonder first of all if you could tell us a story about how this care has caught some things that would have been very scary if they weren't in your care, because I'm sure that's happened for you. It's not all puppies and sunshine, right? There's a few situations where that in-home medical care made all the difference. I'd love to hear that. And then I want you to tell us how, how you pay for this. So that, <laughs> that's my next question. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so going back to, let's talk about mental health and then we'll talk about something very physical. So mental health, we've done about 350, 60 dyads. And um, so that's the birthing person, mother, newborn group. Uh, I've only told one person to start on postpartum medications for postpartum depression. Her husband was, uh, had to go back and evaded on, on duty. And she had two other kiddos and is like, you need this. <laughs> like that's the only time I've said that. Yeah, 10 to 20% of women do come on some sort of SSRIs, and but their main, main concerns is, is that this is going to be harmful to my child. So there's a lot of education behind that. It's a lot of like, okay, like if you ever are worried about any of these things, then here's some of the resources. Um, and then for the majority of them, it really is a space to be heard. And I've had a couple of moms say, and we will take a, extra time and we will be like, okay, now you are I remember this particular mom, um, husband had to go back to work. She has an older uh, two-year-old and then this newborn. She was feeling good and she was just like, okay, so we actually made very concrete plans with her. It's like, all right, she goes, I want to go out, but I feel overwhelmed. Okay, go sit on your porch. It's okay to go in the backyard and sit on your porch and giving them concrete permission things for them to be like a month later, she's like, oh, I actually came to the Denver Zoo and I'm doing well. But it's really that type of stuff that women need. It's like, okay, I know what my end point is. I just don't know how to get there. And sometimes right. it's like step no, by 10 step. minutes outside, mm -hmm. step by step. And sometimes mm -hmm. you are in survival mode. So sometimes you just don't know what the steps are. Are what to take right um right 
you know, just like you go to a personal trainer, right? You know what your end goals are. And mm-hmm. you're just, okay, but how do I get there? Um, then really what really changed, and this one we um, we have saved a woman's life for she was suicidal. She called mm-hmm. her, so we do work with the OBGYNs because I am not OB trained. Um, she couldn't get her mental health therapist until a week after. And we all know working the postpartum period, like every day, sometimes every hour counts. Um, Olivia, our therapist, was able to talk to her within an hour. Um, I was able to talk to her too. We we kind of made a plan with the family. And I know, and she's also confessed it, that we saved her life because of the timely medical treatment that we were able to provide for her and the bridging that we were yeah. able to do for her. Um, and then lastly, going back to maternal mortality is when we look at the data, when we say medical uh implications with it is we I had a woman her name is Sarah and this is about three years ago and this has kind of really opened the doors to maternal mortality and really kind of changed the whole trajectory of so I actually opened I care because of I suffer from postpartum depression and I was like I don't want any other mom to suffer from postpartum depression and then this three years ago we totally did a 180 and added maternal mortality and that's like my platform um, she had hired me because she, her neighbor, uh, was successfully breastfeeding. She didn't have a good um, relationship with her first baby, who was now four. And she's like, you know what? I want, I want breastfeeding. Okay, great. Let's go to breastfeeding. This was over Labor Day weekend, and so I saw the baby on Friday, and we kind of did a couple of things with breastfeeding. But what was notable was the mom was complaining about neck pain. And she was barely able to kind of just get up and walk. And she goes, it's just really bad neck pain. And so I was like, okay, well, let's talk to your OB. And this is the time I wasn't doing vitals at all. And I was like, okay, because I didn't realize the immensity of it at that time. Because I also am a pediatrician, right? Like I was like, oh, I'm doing all your maternal right. mental health and all that kind of support. Um, so I was like, okay, let's talk to your OB. This is Labor Day weekend. I'll come back on Tuesday. I've got to check on mom. I mean, I got to check on their baby. Anyways, we'll we'll talk more and, and stuff like that. Come back on Tuesday. Did my appointment. Was leaving, and she goes, "Hey, Doctor Patel, can I? Um, I need a primary care physician." And I was like, "Well, you need a primary care physician." Side note: My mom's an OBGYN, so I've been underneath that world and with my mom, and just like you know, in the, in the old days that you had the beepers, and my mom would be on the phone talking. So you get exposed totally. to a lot of the OBGYN postpartum part of it. Totally, so like, oh, totally. Why do, a, why do you need a primary care? They're like, well, they gave me a muscle relaxant over the weekend, and it hasn't helped. And my OB has said that, hey, listen, we can't do anything more about it. But I'm like, but you're nine days postpartum. This is still an OB issue. Mm. Like, why do you need a primary mm. care physician mm. for that? First time, I was like, let me just check your blood pressure. I didn't believe myself because I'm an old-fashioned blood pressure machine. It was 180 over 110. And I was like, you know what? I was, I was like, listen, I don't believe my machine because I didn't trust myself. Because I was just like, why did I trust myself? Right? Because you, when something goes so awry, you're just like, you look at it, you're like, that can't be well, right. <laughs> just like, well, and we're also in a new space a little bit. So like, yeah, I think self-questioning yeah. is real there. Yeah, I totally. <laughs> I was like, let's go get one from Walgreens. And I need, I was like, if you don't mind, I can I run your case by my mom? She's an OBGYN. She practices in Nebraska. 
can I just run it by my mom? And my mom was floored. She's like, this is still postpartum. Like this is still post-op day nine. She was contemplating to going to a chiropractor that day. We got the blood pressures, the OB went to the ER. She had her vertebral artery where the main um, artery that provides your head and neck muscles, it had dissected, meaning it had torn. And now she's on stroke watch. Like it went from now she's on stroke watch. So now I come back to this a place. How am I going to tell her to breastfeed? I'm not going to put that pressure on her. She has a four-year-old. She has a nine-day-old. She's put on stroke watch because this huge artery that supplies your head and neck is about to burst. So that's what I'm saying. Things just don't happen in a vacuum. And we undermine all of this. But based on her, we've doing vitals for every mom. We have had some near misses. We've had also... We've noticed trends in blood pressures. We actually, this year, we are, we got funded um, to do a study to literally just look at postpartum vitals because there's not enough data out there. And most mm, of the data cool. that is presented, yeah, it's, most of the data comes from the UK. Um, however, mm-hmm. the, there's no diversity in that data. So most of them are Caucasian women that are being looked at um, just because of their population, right? And um, yeah. so we, we We've kind of just gone through it in that way. And that's why when you come back to maternal mortality data and you look at it, you'd need medical interventions there. Definitely. I mean, hopefully- well, this is, yeah, yeah, this is, this is the hill that I think uh, midwives feel like dying on too. It's like this holistic continuity of care through the entire process is the solution to the maternal health crisis. I'm, you know, like same language, yes. which makes me think subtle. You don't need obstetric training. Why don't you become a midwife? What now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you can, you can do it part time cool. on the side and have all this experience and be a primary care provider without the surgery, which you don't really want or need in the home space. So you're perfectly positioned. I never thought of that. I I never really thought of that. Okay, well, thanks for putting the little nugget in my brain. I, I will look into well, it. Well, <laughs> I know lots of people in your community. So if you want a preceptor, let me know. I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, well, well. well, either way, though, what you're doing is like, it's so exciting. And I, so let me just, I want to share something with you and with our audience is um, Midwifery Wisdom Collective and the Midwifery Wisdom Foundation that publishes this podcast is concerned with the community-based space where we are an advocacy education and support organization for community-based birth and the space on either side of that so that includes community-based providers and so while many other advocacy organizations or you know schools or oversight or even government ngo different organizations focus on provider types you know, we have advocacy for OBs and for DOs and for CNMs and CPMs, you know, we have just eliminated the pathways and the silos of education. And we said, look, the real difference is where you're practicing. Because when you practice in the hospital, there's a set of protocols and policies and expectations. Mm-hmm. And when you practice in the community, there's a set of protocols, policies and expectations. Like we don't do surgery in people's homes. Like it, that's like not happening, right? So it's, it has right. much less to do with provider type and much more to do with location. And so the Midwifery Wisdom Collective and Foundation is focused on 
all provider types, regardless of how they found their way to the community-based space. And so, of course, that's why we're really interested in having you be kind of keynote. And that's why I love talking to you today is because you found your way to community-based space. And that's what we celebrate and champion is like, whether you call it that or not, you are practicing the midwifery model of care because the midwifery model of care is in the community space and the obstetric model of care is in the hospital space. And even hospital-based midwives who practice in the hospital are frequently using the, the obstetrical model of care. Whereas even when physicians work in the community-based space, they're using the midwifery model of care. And so that's like our champion. That's what we get behind. And you know, honestly, why I'm so excited to talk to you and to celebrate you is that you're in this space. And my question or kind of my follow-up from this is, how do we get more providers in mainstream to come into this space? What is your success? How, what kind of conversations are you having? Who's joining this mission with you? How do we get successful with this? Yeah, so we actually have created, there's about 10 or 15 physicians around the United States that are doing similar kind of um, home-based work. And so we've created a national nonprofit called Center for Fourth Trimester Care, where we're bringing all the voices. It's physician-led, but we're bringing those voices into that space. So again, it's OBGYNs, um, PMR doctors who deal with, you know, the aftermath of birth trauma, uh, anesthesiologists, uh, pediatricians, family practice doctors, all of those people are coming into the space and saying, okay, we are under this umbrella and we really want to change fourth trimester care. This, this is what's happening is that you have silos of organizations. You have the AAP, American, um, American Pediatrics over here. You have OBGYNs over here. Family medicine is a very Parinatologists, nurses, like right. all of it exactly. separate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. All of it separate when we aren't and we are basically it's a big elephant and we're all looking at from one side to another as opposed to setting back and saying okay this is what the data is showing this is where medical care needs to change and all i'm talking about is a medical care because that's the only lens that i have in that space right like how can i change the medical system in which majority of the women are exposed to and which majority of the women choose because sometimes they don't even realize they have choices um, and that's a, mm -hmm. that's a whole nother mm -hmm. topic and a whole nother education thing. So, but how do you look at this system that we already have in place and really push it to change it and push it from the get-go? Um, ACOG has come out and said that, you know, uh, they've defined high risk and stratified high risk patients that have blood pressure issues and when to see them at two weeks at four weeks and all of that stuff. But again, like my biggest gripe is, but you're missing out on what that person has gone through. Like you are undermining that. Look, just come to me for the blood pressure. Really exciting stuff that's happening is telemedicine with blood pressure issues. Great. You know, so now you're not forcing those, that woman to come in and then looking from the pediatric lens is like, no, I don't need to see your baby. I don't need to see your baby every two days because objectively I, I'm just looking at a number, but I forgot to ask you if you got like tons of IV fluids and now I'm just following a number rather than following breastfeeding and rather than following all the other objective markers that tell me that breastfeeding is going well. So really kind of changing that narrative, that push to be like medical home visits. Um, we're partnering up with two pediatric offices where we're going to be providing the first uh, post-discharge hospital visit 
to the house. So it's like making cool. small changes like that and mm -hmm. saying, okay, no, we're going to provide this at the house. And then at two weeks, you have the choice either continuing with us or you're going to go back to your pediatricians. But it's literally yeah. taking them with small steps, right? It's saying, come with me. I'm like, I I'm telling you this is yeah, better. Yeah. And, and stuff like that. So yes. So Center for Quest Trimester well, So Care. the I nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Anybody. Anybody can be a member. It is a physician-led group um, where our board is consistent of um, the variety of physicians that I've mentioned. And, uh, but anybody can be a member. It's $50 for students for the first year and a hundred for um, anyone else. And then we do have conferences. We're gonna have a conference, a joint conference with doulas here in um, September. So that's gonna be really exciting as well too. That is exciting. Well, we'll link that in the show notes. Well, so you're, yeah. you created this nonprofit. We're doing lots of education. You're obviously doing tons of outreach. Now there's more than just you, right? You have other physicians that are involved in this process, right? Yes. Yes. Not that many though. You're Enough eight. to kind of, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and you know, well, it's, so it's, it's hard. Well, I would say, um, I think that midwives are a natural, you know, partner in this process yes. in this work. Um, and so, um, yeah, I would say, uh, there's about, mm, probably about 15, 10, 10,000 midwives across the United States. Um, and at least 4,000 are doing regular frequent postpartum home visits as part of their normal standardized care. And so since they already have the system and the process, it would make sense to involve them in this process. So I'd love to connect you with some change makers yes. who are, who are in this place, because what you're doing is so important, but there's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? Like there's so much of, of this that exists strategically and, and long-term and traditionally, and it would just be cool to, again, create more clout, more public awareness so that not even public, more private awareness within the physicians, within, you know, the entire post, like it's like the birth workers now encompass like 15, 16 specialties. Right. And like, this is the, this is the real like brokenness of the American medical association, medical system, the medical industrial complex is breaking apart all of these specialties instead of recognizing that we need to see the mother baby dyad as like a one unit you you know, and that we need to see the postpartum period as like the fourth trimester, like you call it. So it's just so exciting what you're doing. I'm going to, okay. So I actually wrote a book that's called the doctor and her black bag, because I am one of those Ooh, people cool. that I need to understand how, yeah, how we got to where we are at. So, um, check it out as on Amazon oh, cool. on our website, please check it out. Oh, the I'll thing share was, that. which I'll is so, sure. yeah. So Historically, and this is going to lead into what you were saying with the advocacy of the midwifery system. So the turn of the century when we had the industrialized revolution and we had, this was after the Civil War, and we brought more people into urban settings, what was happening simultaneously was that the hospital system was, we were being able, we were relying on germ theories, we were able to reduce infections. And so that's the turn of when the hospitals started becoming more of a primary area for birthing and so that was a that was a huge shift with birthing that had happened and then um in the book i explore this i'm not going to go 
through all of it, but we explore the feminist movement. We explore the germ um, theory. We explore insurance, the role of insurance of how it changed birthing and how it led to where we are right now. In the midst of this, what happened was midwifery kind of took a back back end to it or just took a back end, which was very, yep. it was a very big disservice because it, the feminist movement did do some positive things, but also it was a very disservice to the birthing experience of it. And then what is happening now is that every state has its own regulation. So as a midwifery system and as a midwifery person, there's, there is not mobility. There is not a financial mobility, physical mobility. Colorado versus Florida is two different laws that are overseeing it. In preach, some states, sister, it's like, preach. I mean, in some states, you can get, I love like, that you know this. Yeah. Yeah. And because the data just shows it in some states, you can actually go to jail for having a home birth. And sometimes home births yep. don't happen. Like they happen accidentally sometimes, you know, I was actually a prime example of that. I could have had a home birth accidentally. And so when we need to change the medical system, midwifery, we, we need to go back to it in a way that is the policymakers and they understand it. So what happens yes. in advocacy and policymaking is that someone gets the ear of a legislator and they just run with it. But sometimes that the, what they have yes. been told is not correct, where it could be a short-term solution, but long-term solution, it really is curtails the mobility of a system to go. So going back to the data and maternal mortality, when you do look at other countries, that have maternal mortality rates that are super low, such as the UK, such as Japan, where their rates are yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. The they have midwives women's... are a part of their care. Absolutely. Yep. No, mm -hmm. women's health. So I'm gonna even take it one step, step further. Women's health starts with midwifery care. That's where women's yeah. health starts. With. Yeah. Then Love your OBGYN comes in when there are issues. So there's a stratification right. of it, right? That's when it comes yeah. in. And one thing the UK system does really impressively well, because what happened at the turn of the century too, I mean, 19th century, the 20th century, the UK had about the same maternal mortality rates as the United States. But what they did different was they blamed the system for maternal death, not, not the not the mom provider. Type. So I get mm -hmm. right. I mean, but not the mom. So look at this postpartum psychosis. I, I, this one, this is my burning thing. What do we do with those moms? At the end of the day, we incarcerate them, but we fail Ooh. to see how our system led them to that. And then we incarcerate them. And so now we're telling a woman who's going through this is like, you know what, if you feel this way and you have psychosis, you're going to be yeah. imprisoned at the end of the day. Yeah. You sit there yeah. and you're boggled. And, I mean, you're just, you're just boggled to be like anything that goes wrong, we're imprisoning women. Mm. And you're just mm. like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> mm. So, so that's what I'm saying. Yes. Advocacy is just so important, but the right type of advocacy, the right type of legislation that has long-term effects, not the short, acute, solutions and bandages you know like i would just say they're just yeah. bandages and you're not like fixing anything you're just saying oh, okay 
we're going to fix it for this particular community. Okay, I'm going to tell you yeah. one more thing, and then I'll so, like, no, so, like, tell for me. example. <laughs> when we look at maternal mortality data, we know overall when we look at there's discrepancies between our Caucasian mothers and our African American mothers and our Hispanic mothers. There is there is huge discrepancy of it when you look at a national level. However, when you look per state, for particularly states like Arkansas, your Caucasian mothers and your African American mothers have the same rate of maternal mortality death. And you look at that and say, well, that means that regardless of what system, the system is not working. Like we need universal solutions to a universal problem. Like we can't just be like, well, for mm. this particular area is not working. But then when you go look at Georgia, and so California is one of the best rates of maternal mortality in our United States. They actually are comparable to our European countries. So what they have done differently is that they have universally standardized some care that it's universal. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what race you are. It doesn't matter if you have your first baby, your second baby, your third baby, because pregnancy is a challenge with every, every birth is a challenge. So those are the solutions that we need. Those are the solutions that we need to advocate for. It's like, no, we, we're not just gonna, we're not just gonna do it for this one particular group because it it does. And that's a whole that's the whole thing, right? Like all these home visitations, most of them are striated to you have to be low income or a first child. And you're like, well, no, you you can have issues with your second child. You can have issues with your third child. Birthing is. Every time you have uh, you go through pregnancy, it is a disease on the woman. Like I mean, just like it is. Mm -hmm. And when we stigmatize help, that's when we see the discrepancy in data. So, mm -hmm. well, Sonal, tell lot. us how how are you how are you funding this project? How are you funding this project? Because. Um, this is the main problem that midwifery profession faces is there there is not direct and appropriate reimbursement from Medicaid, from med from um, you know private payer sources. Um, yeah, how are you funding this? So I face the same challenges that you have just kind of outlined. Um, I do take Medicaid, but we do do it from the business end of it. There's different ways where we can benefit from taking med, uh, Medicaid patients, they don't reimburse well at all. But again, for me, it was, this has to be universal. Like it has to be a universal kind of solution. Like I'm not going to be like, no, you don't have it. Um, try taking private pay. Again, it is, there's too much red tape there. And so I just don't deal with private pay. Uh, we take the HSA account, the health spending account. If you have an SS, FSA, we do that. And now when we are through the Center for Fourth Trimester Care, where we're doing this blood pressure project, we have raised money that a, that my type of care could be an opt-in option for those families that are going to be part of our blood pressures. So there's just kind of unique and different ways that we figure out um, how to fund care, you know, payment plans, sliding scales, whatever is needed. So and anyone who knocks on my door and says, hey, I want this type of care, that's a win for me. And let's kind of quickly, let's, let's figure out I'm laughing out because you're already practicing midwifery, Sonal. <laughs> you just need to make it official. You just need to be like, I am going to join the poor and dedicated midwives of the nation to work for my sales purpose. <laughs> 
I well, love and it. Then, yeah. And then you just keep knocking on those doors. And, you know, like right now, the state does have money and they just sometimes just don't know where to give it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they do pilot programs. I've had two, um, two collectives, um, local collectives come to me and they're writing me in their grant. So that's another oh, way. Are you working with Elephant Circle? So no, I'm not working with Elephant Circle. Um, I actually worked with them last year when we were talking, when we did legislation, because I'm a big advocate legislation person. So we actually, both them and my company supported uh, better care for incarcerated pregnant women, um, postpartum care and mm-hmm. that. So that was a lot of fun to work with them. This one is Family Forward. Um, it is an African-American mm-hmm. Um, black mothers and then there's another one that is um, it's one is our tribe which is a doula group but then there's um, oh what's birdies one gotta keep forgetting mama bird so mama bird is another yeah. um, doula based groups so one is family forwards and one is the, the doula based group and um, and then the other thing is that the other hat I wear is I am the family, uh, I am the medical director for Family Connects program. Family Connects, if you, if anyone's familiar, it comes from North Carolina and it is, again, it's universal program, three weeks. They provide a nurse who has some sort of lactation training that will go to the house at three weeks of that birth to help kind of uh, assess what's going on with the mom, the baby, the family, and then one step they connect them to the resources in the community. It can be as simple as, you know, I need to find a mom group to, oh, you know what, you really are a refugee. We can get you into um, get expedited emergency Medicaid for you. So the range is mm-hmm. huge. And mm-hmm. that program started with uh, here in Colorado last October. And, um, Again, we're we're kind of expanding, and that's the things mm. I see too. It's just like I see the again. It is a home visitation program. It is not a medical program, um, but through those visits, through my nurses' visits, you see the the issues. Like so, for example, mm-hmm. we're talking about postpartum psychosis. One of the moms was released in postpartum psychosis. Um, she was hospitalized and then released, and one of my nurses went to go see her around four weeks um, after birth. And um, she was having side effects from the medication, but no one checked on on her. Like she was barely able to walk. And you're just like, Mm. well, and then, so then we're calling and I'm using my doctor card and calling and, you know, saying, hey, we need you to really. And so they changed the medication around because she wasn't barely able to walk. We had another mom who was complaining about pain and her blood pressures were so high. And you're just like, but when can you see your OBGYN? Oh, no, it's not another till six weeks. And so you see all of that too. So you, you see where, again, a, another way of the system is breaking down for these moms. And then you go back to be like, no, medical, medical. We need medical care at this point. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. Yeah. And the only, the only distinction I make is clinical, right? Because because it's not always medical. It could be nursing, could be midwifery, but the the clinical attention to detail, right? That's the big that's the big thing that is missing when we talk about you know you know community support, doula support. You know, like it's more than just psychological, and that I I and and well, it's more than just yeah yeah. Go ahead, interrupt. Yeah. 
No, no. Like, for example, like if you took a blood pressure, you you guys as midwives, you're trained to do to do with that blood pressure, right? But if a nurse who is just, I mean, not just, but a doula takes a blood pressure, a nurse takes a blood pressure, there's well, they, a doula extra steps. That but, need... but yeah, right. well, I mean, and this goes, but you said what I'm really saying, right? Like, yeah. I do. I, there's a distinction there. And I, this is actually a really, uh, a question I have that's um, kind of peculiar for me is I'm wondering, so in advocating for the community-based space, which we're both occupying, one of the things that is we kind of make this distinction around one of the main jobs of a community-based provider is risk assessment. So we're doing all of these screenings, right? Both clinical, psychological, familial, environmental, we're like screening to say, are you high risk, low risk, or moderate risk? Like, where do you belong? And then if we determine that someone is high risk, we're going to refer them out, right? Um, because they don't belong in the community space anymore. They belong in the hospital. And I think this is the, this fundamental difference of what you're advocating for is so powerful because what you're essentially saying by your work is you are low risk unless proven otherwise. You belong in the community unless proven otherwise. And that's like the complete opposite of what the mainstream world is saying. That's what would really change things for us is if we did this proper risk assessment, assuming that you're, you know, not guilty, <laughs> you know, you're low risk and less proven yeah. otherwise. And, and then, then the, the providers who do those assessments can then make the referrals to the specialists that exist in the system as needed. Is, is that also how you perceive your process, your role? Oh, definitely. I mean, even going back to you guys as midwives, since I work with so many diverse midwifery practices here from the birth center to the home births and everything, because of the training that you have gone, you know when to stratify that risk. You've are, it's, it's like embedded in you guys, you know? Right. You know how right. to easily stratify that versus if you have, you know, at the three week, a nurse coming in from just a community nurse, they might not have that embedded training to be like, oh, you know, they yeah. might have like little pricklies, depending on how much they've worked in the community. The thing is your training has prepped you for that. Yeah. Versus risk assessment is at the foundation of our care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or is this the right amount? Or do you need to actually go into the thing? And then the, the care doesn't, it, it doesn't, um, there's not a lack of timing of care because we all know in the mm. postpartum world, the timing of care is so important. And maternal mortality data is showing us that over and over again, and we're just kind of ignoring it. I, I, I think we're natural allies. <laughs> I want to find out how much more we can like, work together. Um, and I, I would love to, um, I would love to see, I, I don't know. I just, I'm so excited to see what's coming, what you're able to do. Cause you've already been able to do so much. And I think there's so much more that can be done in this space. And, it's exciting. It's exciting to be centering the moms, centering those parents that need that care so much. And um, to have, I mean, you said, you said I'm using my doctor card and like, there's a bit of like, that's how rigged the system is, but also thank you. Yes. You know, like I want to say thank <laughs> yes. you for pulling out that, you know, eight to 15 years of education and money to be able to wave it around and get and be the advocate 
that we that 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 parents need like you're advocating in in the in one of the most overlooked areas of health and just thank you that's what i want to say thank you yeah oh yes no i oh thank you so much i mean i like you said it's a I guess I'm going to go be a midwife now and put that. <laughs> I think so. I think you should. Like, I'm serious. If you're really serious, I'm serious. You message me and I'll, I'll look you up. I've got some great preceptors in your state. Okay. Okay. It's a very I'm quick let, process. Let, let Two, years. Two years. Two years. Two years. All right. Let, let, let me percolate on that <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> So, okay. Yeah, I know. I mean, just the last, like, I know we can, yeah. No, it's like, I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're definitely great allies. And I think in one area that we can really kind of come together with both our voices as our center for fourth trimester care and the midwifery wisdom collective is through advocacy and legislation and looking at, you know, policies that are being presented and saying, okay, well, this is a great policy. These are all the positives of it, but you're missing out this aspect of it because we're both coming from a place that we've seen a lot and we know on a granular mm-hmm. level what works and what doesn't. And it's, I'm tired mm-hmm. of putting bandages on. Like for this really quickly, like that whole postpartum drug that came out and oh, wrote an article on it. It's like, it's just putting a bandaid on it because you're not, you're not, under, you're, you're overlooking the root and we can't we can't mm. stop we have to stop putting bandages on our problems otherwise it's never gonna well i mean that's out. basically yeah. that sums up the medical industrial complex right i mean it is all about yeah. all about medication and and covering up well we wrote we posted a blog post about it too and the list of side effects is like worse than the actual original issue you know it's mind-numbing to think that this is gonna and you know it's Anyway, yeah, whole nother podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that one. Well, Sonal, thank yes. you so much for making time for us uh, early in your morning and to chat with us here on the podcast. So grateful. Where can people find you online if they want to follow you? Uh, just actually Naya Care, N-A-Y-A-C-A-R-E. And we are across TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Just awesome. Um, find All the things. Way. Yeah. All the things. All the things. Well, take good care of yourself. Great. Thank you so much. Um, and we will be in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.